my hope is the same as, as I just prayed, that at any time that we come to the Gospels and we come today, the Gospel of John, that what we see ultimately is Jesus face to face. That ought to always be our goal. It ought to always be our purpose when we're in the Word of God is that we see God, that we see the Father. And we see Him, He says in John 5, whenever we see Jesus, we see God the Father. Whenever we, we see His mercy, we see God's mercy. When people ask questions about, you know, what is God like? And sometimes we'll separate that question. What is God like separate, separate from what Jesus is like? And people will have all these, these preconceptions. And uh, some of them positive, some of them negative, some of them uh, a great mix of the two. Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whatever your impression is, it ought to be shaped first and foremost by, well, what did we see Jesus do? How did He treat people? How did He love people? How did He act? What did he, what did he do when people blew it? What did He do when people went through difficult times that weren't of their own making? How did He, how did he handle the up times and the good times and the times where all you need is a really good nap? Jesus got naps. Jesus got one nap so much that He didn't even notice the storm outside. That sounds good this afternoon, doesn't it? We get one of those before school starts. That's what, that's what Jesus showed us. And in all of that, He's showing us again, God. So today we're going to look at grace. And one of the things that we need to understand is grace has always been grace and always has been God. From the very beginning was grace. Sometimes when people look at the Old Testament, they'll say, well, you know, the Old Testament was harsh and the New Testament is loving. And you know what that tells me? They haven't read well their Old Testament. Because that's a lie. They're not lying, but we know who's behind all lies, right? John 8, 44, that's Satan's native tongue. He's always trying to separate us from the Father. So He spreads things like that. In the very beginning, the very first fall with Adam and Eve, you start with what? An act of grace. You say, well, but they were banished from the garden. Yes, and they weren't sent away naked, and they weren't sent away alone. The first innocent life ever taken was the life of the animal that gave its life at God's own hand, that they would be clothed for the wilderness that they faced. There was always grace. And the promise as they left the garden was, I'm going to make this right. We looked a couple of weeks ago at John 18 and then John 19. It was God keeping that promise. I will make it right. We also saw in those chapters sometimes where people made some choices that were not the best choices. You see Judas who betrays Jesus and ends up taking his own life out of the guilt and remorse of that bad decision. You see Peter who denies Jesus, not once, but three times, and immediately is moved to the point it says that, that he just absolutely wept. And the words there, if, if we got back, to not a good English word for this, but it's just this, this anguishing down to the bone and the guts kind of, of sorrow that Peter had for what he'd done. Jesus was still going to make it right. In John 21, we pick up with Peter still living with that guilt. That's an appropriate place to start when we're going to talk about grace this morning, isn't it? So, John chapter 21. Let's look first at verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to His disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, your Bible may say Bar Bartholomew. Those are the same guys, by the way, Nathaniel and Bartholomew. Uh, 
so Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Don't you know he kind of said it probably a bit like that? You know, just he's, he's, he's broken up. Very much so. And when you don't, you know, we all have this place. When you, when you don't feel right, when, when you just need some fresh air, uh, everybody has some sort of a place to go. For Peter, that was to get back out on the boat and fish. Uh, some of you here, it's to get back out on the boat and fish. Some of you, it's a hunting blind. Some of you, it's a workshop. For some of you, it's a, it's a lazy boy recliner and a remote and nobody there to tell you what channel to move it to instead, right? But you got these places. Uh, I, I, I like to go kayaking. I don't get to do that very much. I like to go for a drive through the country and just, you know, you blow out the carbon both in the car and yourself. That helps, doesn't it? We have these places we go. For Peter, it was the boat. He was going to go fish. The other guys look around and say, well, we're going too. So they go fishing. You know the story. Jesus reveals Himself while they're out fishing. And it's the same way He revealed Himself the first time. You know, it's not by accident. Jesus planned this. You can, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's almost goop, uh, maybe not to you, to me it's almost goosebumpy that He chose to do this in the way that He first called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The similarity there. You know, you get sometimes those weird feelings of deja vu, and I just wonder if the hairs didn't stand up on the back of their neck when it finally clicked what was going on. So, let's read the rest of this. They decided, we're all going to go fishing. And they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I said the last time we read a verse like that, I know that feeling. That was yesterday. Almost. Technically. Technically, I caught a fish. It was a perch this big, and, and when, it, when it bit the hook... I reacted so quickly that it came flying. And if it weren't for the chain link, it would have hit me in the head. So I was having to fish from behind a chain link. It was legal. It was Emmett's chain link fence. That makes it sound like I was somewhere I shouldn't have been or something. But, you know, I, I, I did this, and that fish went, boom, hit the, hit, hit the fence, fell back in the water. Poor fish. I felt sorry for him. Yeah, He'll live another day and get bigger, and maybe next time he'll provide a little more resistance. Just as day was breaking, this is verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Isn't it funny that He said that to them? These are grown men. Children, do you have any fish? Is he, you wonder tone. You know, I wish we knew tone. Because is He joking with them? What is that about? Then they answer back, Nope, we don't have a thing. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. You know there had to be mischief in His voice, don't you? Try that other side. Do that. Some guy told me that works, that we might add. So they try it, because, you know, last time it did. So they cast it. Excuse me. They cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the full net of the fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. So, so, Peter gets so excited. John says, we know it's John. Give away the ending there. John says, hey, that's, that's Jesus. This, we, we've been here before. And Peter gets so excited, he gets dressed again, because that's the way he fished, okay? He gets dressed again, and then jumps out of the boat and starts swimming back, because the boat ain't fast enough. What does that tell you about Peter? For all of his mistakes of the last few days here, what does that tell you about Peter? 
in his love for Jesus, his excitement to see him again. He couldn't even wait for them to get the boat back in. So he's sitting there splashing his way back to the shore. They're bringing up the fish from about 100 yards out. When they had got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, and the fish laid out on it in bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and handed the, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. John's a fisherman, right? We had 153 fish that day. I don't know if that's like preacher count or what. And although they were so... <laughs> they were all Jim Hall, whom a lot of you, of course, know because they used to preach here. Jim Hall likes to say, I caught a fish that far from shore. And I've stolen it from him, and it's now mine too. Because that's about, that's about right. Far from shore. That's about where that perch was when he, when he landed on there. Let's see here. So Peter, they look and see, looks at the shore, runs, everybody else coming up behind him eventually with all the fish. Jesus says, bring some of that fish here, and what's he done? Made breakfast. Before we get into any deep parts of grace, just think about some of the small things that are grace. And I don't know how, another way to word it except say, I just think that is so cool. And I do wonder, was Jesus a good cook? You know, probably hadn't had a lot of practice until the incarnation. What did he need, need that for? Or was this like the best fish they ever had? Or did he just, you know, whatever. Who cares? But it's interesting. But how cool is it? Because this was his way of saying, you know I still love you. You know I still care for you. Why don't you come up? But he did it in the way that us guys talk. He didn't say any of that. Get some fish. Bring some of that fish over here. You know, that sort of a thing. But he did it. He did it. And they came up and they had breakfast again. They never thought that would happen again. That was not anything they ever thought they would experience again. And yet he did. He made breakfast for them. It's the small things sometimes that God does. Again, you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. And every morning that we get up and have it, who's prepared that meal for us ultimately? Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? God does. Who made bacon? I had mine this morning. God did. God did. Freedom in Christ. You said Gentile thing earlier. That, just substitute that for bacon eaters, you know. It's just wonderful. Because He cares about us. Every one of those little things is grace. Because by all rights, we don't deserve even those things. And He gives them anyway because He loves us. Sometimes it's just those small things. Go to the, the next verse here, down 15. Catch this next part. Because then it becomes personal. More personal, I should say. The other was personal. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I, I think this is fun. I just now remembered which of those pictures I put up on there. These pictures are from a movie of the Gospel of John. And they're, they're, I love it because they made these and then said these are free to use as illustrations, and, and which I, I love it when that happens. But this one here cracks me up. That's the actor that was playing Jesus. But in the scenes from the movie, every time he asked Peter this question, his face looks more like that. <laughs> you know, and He starts out saying, you know, Simon, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. And he asks again, Simon, you know, do you love me? That sort of a thing. I just, I love that. Because you do wonder, again, just like tone, expressions, how did Jesus ask these things? 
We know one of the things he did. Do you love me? Do you love me? And at the end, do you really agape, give your life for me, love me? Peter answers the question. It's time. Let's go back. Verse 6. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved this time because he said to him, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk whenever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after he said this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper that said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he lives until I or that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers, spread abroad among the brothers, that the disciples, excuse me, that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Basically, John says everybody focused on the wrong thing. They focused on the he will not die until, and they were supposed to get the what is that to you part of the of the statement. Which is kind of funny. You know, Jesus actually did it like a New Jersey thing. What is that to you? What are your business? You know, all that sort of a thing to Simon Peter. Well, that's apparently okay to do every now and then. What's it to you? Jesus uh, then says, uh, verse 24, This is the disciple who is bearing witness, John, excuse me, who is bearing witness about these things and who was written about these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Go back into this a little bit. Uh, Jesus is there. They're having breakfast. He says to Simon Peter, and he says to him, Simon, which for Peter, probably a little bit odd. All this time, it was Jesus, by the way, who had said, from now on, I'm going to call you Peter. Jesus had called him Peter, and now that he has blown it, he's calling him Simon. And I think in some ways that probably to Simon had to, had to hurt to hear that name. Not because he, he didn't like it, that had been his name most of his life, but because that being called that makes you question something, doesn't it? If he no longer calls me by his own, we would say, nickname for me, does that mean that that relationship that brought about the nickname is no longer valid? If your good friend calls you, I don't know, I had a friend named Possum. If your nickname was Possum, his real name was Paris, if your nickname was Possum and all of a sudden you blew it and everybody started calling you Paris or Mr. Haynes, what would you think? It feels like there's a cooling there, doesn't it, of the relationship. Maybe, maybe a, a distancing that's there. And I think Simon maybe felt this as he was called Simon. So every time 
it stings a little. So by the third time, it says that Peter had actually gotten upset. He's calling me Simon, and he's saying, do you love me? And I know that Jesus knows everything. Why is he asking me that? He wasn't asking because he didn't know. Maybe he was asking because Peter needed to be reminded. Peter, do you love me because you know that I love you? What are you doing out here on the boat? One of the things about having some place that you go and run to when you're broken and hurt, whether by your own doing or by somebody else's, is that we, we tend to, to try then to isolate ourselves. And that's what Peter had done a lot after the crucifixion and even a little after the resurrection. He isolated himself. The reason probably is what we see in his doubts about Jesus' questions. Am I really okay? Does God really still love me? Are Jesus and I still really close? And the more Jesus asks, the more Peter seems to be questioning. Why is he saying Simon? Why is he asking if I love him? Why? If everything's okay, why would he ask me this? You know the kind of things that might run through your mind, and I'm sure they ran through his too. Jesus started the conversation, though, with something we looked at that was grace. He had reminded them of how they first met. The act of, of having the same situation is, again, it's grace. It's saying this is a good, hard reboot and we're starting over again and we're going forward with what we planned that day. This is all still real. These promises are still valid and you are still my disciples. And to Peter specifically, because of how he felt he'd blown it, he's asking him, do you love me? Not because Jesus needs to know, but because Peter needs to know that Jesus still loves him. Every time the response of Jesus to, yes, I do love you, and why are you still asking, was, let's get back to work. It wasn't just, you know, feed my sheep. It's let's get back to the mission. Let's go back to doing what I called you to do. Then be my disciple. Come, follow me. And that's he even gets to. Come, follow us. Do this again. Let's get back on it. Let's not sit around and wallow in our own self-misery. And that's hard not to do sometimes. We know that. Because when things hurt, that's kind of the natural instinct. It's, a, it's not even something we always choose. It's just kind of a self-protective thing that we do. It's not right or wrong. It's just reality. That's the way we respond, right? Something hits you right here. A pain hits you right there. Your whole posture changes because it just hurts. Same thing spiritually. Sometimes we, we cringe, we fold over, and we hurt. But sometimes when the, the pain is gone, you still have that crooked posture. If you've, if you've had knee surgery and had to, had to lean and limp for a while, one of the things they have to work on is straightening you back out because you don't need that lean and that limp anymore. But it's, it's so worked into your mindset that you still sometimes walk with it not out of need, but out of habit. Not out of pain, but out of just muscle memory. You've got to work through it. Spirit's the same way. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, don't sit here in yourself wallowing. Let's get back to the mission. Let's work our way forward. One of the first things that grace does is there. I already clicked, didn't I? The first thing grace does is takes care of the way that we've blown it. When we come to Christ, whether it's the first time when we confess our faith and we're baptized into Christ, all of that is washed away. All of it. Even to the very people who had crucified Jesus in Acts chapter 2, when they realized that what they had done, and they had actually crucified the Messiah, and they asked Peter, Peter, what shall we do? 
How do we make this right? We've blown it. What can we do? His response was what? The Spirit's response was what? Repent. Well, don't keep doing it. That's repent. Well, well, stop it already. But come on. Repent means both those things. Not just stop, but come on. Not just you're forgiven, but come on. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. He brings us into a place of forgiveness and peace. And then he says, and the gift, which is the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets that when they give their life to Christ and are baptized into Christ. All the sin is gone. The Spirit comes to live within us. And God puts us at peace with Himself. All the anguish, all the pain, you may try to hold on to it, but Jesus doesn't. It's only one hand, it's, it's very one-sided uh, tug-of-war. You know what? If you try to hold on to it too long, you will fall on your butt. You know, okay, that's what's going to happen when the other guy lets go. Am I right? Jesus lets go, you let go. Forgiven is forgiven. At peace is at peace. Grace isn't the one bringing it up every day. That's ourselves, isn't it? And our tormentor, the devil. God says, what I've washed, I've washed. What I've forgiven, I've forgiven. We are good. Peter, let's get back to work. Three times he said it. Do you love me? Let's go. That's what he's saying. He restores our peace. He restores our relationship with God the Father, with Christ the Son, through the Holy Spirit. In doing that, he starts working on our vision. Let's see things the way they really are, Peter. Do you love me? Because that's what matters. Are you going to follow me? Because that's what matters. Are you going to join me in the work that I called you to? Because that's all that matters. All this other stuff, whatever it is that's happened before, whether it's when you sank back in the water, whether it's when you denied me three times, whether it's when you did whatever else this did that Peter did that also would have taken more than, a longer book than John, all the times that he blew it, Jesus is saying, let all that stuff get out of the way. Let's see things as they really are. This is bad. I just heard Barney in my head. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. Now my daughters are like, ah! You know, they don't like that song. I torment them with that song. But this is kind of what Jesus does to him. I love you. You love me. Let's go. It's, it's all right. See things as they really are. So many times what we're held back by is not reality. It's our perception of reality. God is still judging me. No, He ain't. They are judging me. No, they're not. I'm still guilty. Nope, Jesus washed it. But, 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 we will, we will actually interject all of our own reasons why we can't move forward in the vision and the work of God. And God is sitting there going, you know, I forgave all that stuff and I'm not going to bring it up. I'd love it if you didn't. Let's go. And He clears our vision and we start to see things right. We've all had those moments where we finally will get that at times. Or we've let things hold us back, whether it was sin or, or just hardship or maybe lack of wisdom. And then finally, something comes to us where we, we finally, I think it's the Spirit, we, we finally see, oh, 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 seriously, He forgave me for that. Seriously, God still loves me. And these people that I thought were sitting here judging me, they actually were just sitting there going, why does He look like He's sucking a lemon backwards? You know? Why? So... Don't let yourself have your vision of who you are and who God sees you as clouded by guilt that God's already forgiven and God's already washed away. Let Him set you free and free for good. This too. Grace is always for a purpose. 
That's where we get our title this morning, The True Calling of Grace. As good as forgiveness is, as good as mercy is, as good as, as clearing our vision and helping us to see, God really does love me. He really does love him. He really does love her. He really does care about us. Even better than all of that, and even more important than all of that, is that it doesn't become just a, a, a one-person-centered grace. There's nobody that God cleanses, nobody God forgives, nobody God redeems just for their own sake. And sometimes we talk about our salvation in a way that, that it really kind of makes it all about us in a, in a sense. I don't think we do that on purpose. It just happens. But what Jesus is trying to get us to see is with the example of Peter. Peter, I forgive you. It's not there anymore. I'm restoring you. I want you to see things for what they really are because I've got something for you to do. Jesus is already looking at Pentecost while Peter was still looking at the uh, trials and the denials. Isn't that true of us a lot of times? What he wants Peter to do is to go forward. You can't go forward with your car stuck in reverse and you watching that little camera thing in the dash. It doesn't work. I might have tried it. It doesn't work. I, I was behind somebody the other day. They were driving so slow that I think they needed to hear this sermon. You know what I'm talking about? Because they didn't know how to go forward. Now, there's slow, and then there's, I've got to put my car in reverse to pass them slow. You know what I'm saying? That's slow. We got a few of those in Brownwood uh, in early. I tell you what. A lot of times they're on the access road. Why would people like that even go to the access road? It doesn't make any sense. You're going to drive like that? You don't even need a dirt road. You just go to a parking lot and never leave. They could use you at Walmart. The, uh, there would be a blessing. That, those people are a blessing because finally somebody's slow enough I can cross the parking lot. Sometimes we try to do that. We, we try to make a better life forward only by dwelling on all the pains and the hurts of the past. You know, that never works. It never works. The only way forward is to actually go forward. Part of that clearing of the vision is, let me turn your head around where it belongs and let's go forward. And so that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. Let's get back to the mission. Let's go on. And this is what we need to see. Everyone who is saved is saved for the purpose of going and finding somebody else who doesn't know this yet. Every single one. We are to sin and death. It's a weird metaphor, but think about it. We are to sin and death what cancer is to the body. That might seem like a weird thing because cancer is so negative. But cancer is also so pervasive because it does its job. Imagine if a Christian would do its job as well as. Unfortunately, sometimes we're not like that at all. And it, we just become a benign tumor. There's a growth, there's a clump of cells, but its effect on everything else is negligible and non-threatening. We ought to be a deep, deep threat to the work of Satan in this world. The gospel of life is a deep, deep threat to a culture of death. We ought to be living in such a way, sharing the gospel with so many people in our world that Satan starts to get as nervous as he did on the night of the cross and the resurrection. He ought to be as nervous as the day the stone rolled away when he probably looked at that and went, whoa, say what? That's the way it ought to be. And this is what he called Peter to. Let's go rock the world. And this is what he calls you to. 
you want to join Jesus in that mission today, you know, it all starts with the surrender of our life in baptism. Starts, doesn't end. Starts there. When we say to the old life, you know what? Made mistakes there. They're going to be dead and buried and Jesus is going to bring me back saved and cleansed. We come up and we come up with the Spirit to live within us to empower us to a whole new life in Jesus' service, bringing light to dark places. If you need to be baptized this morning, we encourage you to do so as we stand and as we sing. On bended knees.